Hi, and welcome to the Ministry Network Podcast. I'm your host, James Baird. Today, we'll be discussing marriage communication with Pastor Rob Flood. The Ministry Network Podcast is sponsored by Westminster Theological Seminary. To learn more about Westminster and their online programs, visit ministrynetwork.com forward slash degree. Now, let's talk with Pastor Flood. Pastor Flood, thank you so much for joining us here on Ministry Network. Oh, thanks for having me, James. Oh, I am so excited. This is one of the most practical and important topics that we could cover for people in marriage, and that is Christian communication. You've written a wonderful book called With These Words. Can you tell us how that book came to be? What's the story behind it? Yeah, so the story really launched out of our own failure as a married couple. Early on in our marriage, when I say early on, I mean day one in our marriage, we found that though we were both excellent communicators, we were both public speakers, we were both performers, we had command over the language, but in our marriage, when we started talking about important things, we kept running into each other, misunderstanding one another, and it blew up. We can get into the story later if you prefer, but it really blew up on our honeymoon in a major conflict. And what I learned as a husband, what she learned as a wife, these tools for communication really helped us piece our marriage back together. Then fast forward 24 years of marriage counseling and pastoring, I found myself using these tools over and over again. And it was, it was shared with me by a friend, what if you captured these in a book so it can bless people beyond those that you're counseling? And that's where the book came from. Wow. Well, I can say everyone who has read your book is thankful for that friend's advice because uh, we get to benefit. How would you define good communication? You could use a number of ways to define it. The way that I do it in the book is I want to define communication biblically so that we can use the scriptures to not just draw the boundaries, but within scriptural boundaries to be the fuel and the guidance for our communication. And so the whole chapter, the whole first chapter is about defining communication where I build, I build four principles and they all come directly out of the New Testament. The first comes out of 1 Peter 4.11 and it, it focuses on our call to communicate as though people are hearing God and not us. We are ambassadors in communication. 1 Peter 4.11 says those who speak as though the very oracles of God. And so when we're speaking to our spouse, frankly, it applies to everything, but here we're talking about marriage, right? When we're speaking to our spouse, we actually have a divine purpose in that conversation. And if we're not tracking the fact that we are ambassadors sent by the one we report to, sent by the one we serve and worship, if we're not tracking that, we'll co-op that conversation and thrust our own agenda into it. So this first principle is very, very important that we speak as though people encounter God and not us. Principles 2, 3, and 4 all flow directly out of Ephesians 4, 29, which I hold out regularly as a required memory verse for people who want to grow in communication. And it says this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And that's principles 2, 3, and 4, James. Principle 2, is we should speak to build others up, not tear others down. Principle three is we should speak in a way that fits the occasion. It's actually possible to say the right thing 
in the right way at the wrong time and be out of step with the will of God. We have to dis- That's news to me. I've never done that before. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So well, so, so many couples that spouses are well-intentioned. They think they're, they've actually prayed about it. They've prayed for the courage to say it. They've said it in just the way that they planned, but they've totally misread the moment. And that's why it says plainly, as fits the occasion. Moments have occasions. And if we're going to have good communication, we have to make sure that we read that occasion. And then the last one, James, is that it would give grace to those who hear. And I always want to be clear on this one. That doesn't mean we only say nice things. It means that whatever we say, we say it for the benefit of the person who's hearing. The Lord himself tells us that when he disciplines us, it's not pleasant at the time. But in the end, it brings a harvest of righteousness. That needs to be our goal of grace giving in communication. So even if we have to give a hard word, you know, we're told that the sword thrust, the wounds of a friend bring healing, right? So we need to make sure that when we're speaking, it's actually for the benefit of the other person that they'd be receiving grace from God. So I think that gets to that question, what is good communication? It's communication that we speak as ambassadors, we speak to build up, we speak in a way that fits the occasion, and we speak in a way that gives grace. Those core truths are so helpful, so helpful, and so deeply ingrained in all of Scripture. Could you help us dig deep into the causes of poor communication? Yeah. Yeah, there's any number of them. I'll speak generally here. There can be those, and I trust it's a minority of the people listening, but it's worth identifying. There can be those who purposely use their words to hurt. You know, words are very, very powerful. God has given us words. When he spoke words, the universe burst into existence. So that's power in words, right? He hasn't given us quite that power, but, but words have power, and it can be used for good or evil. And so there are those, and sometimes they're sitting in my office, that really do intend to harm. So the cause of poor communication there is just wicked motives, right? But I trust that's not the majority of the people who are listening. For the majority of, let's just assume, well-intentioned Jesus followers, okay? One of the causes of bad communication in marriage is we just assume our spouse should communicate in the way we learn to communicate in our homes that we grew up in. You know, we bring these assumptions that good and proper communication ought to be the way my parents did it or the way we did in my house. And if you both assume that, you're coming to marriage not learning each other, but evaluating each other, okay? And so so a lot of times what's needed to get from poor to good communication is a degree of humility to realize, okay, the way we communicated in my house may have been fine— But that is not how God has us as Christian man and wife to communicate. We need to learn one another, which is the second reason. Couples fail to see God's call to be students of one another, right? If we're going to speak in a way, remember those principles we just covered. If we're going to speak in a way that gives grace and builds up, we need to know the person we're working on. We need to know how do they receive grace? What would be encouraging to them? If they're very sensitive, then the moment may require much greater care than I was accustomed to growing up, or than even my personality is inclined to give. And so, so, and maybe the the third one, which may be too obvious even to mention, but I'm going to mention it, 
is people don't take time to work on their communication. You know, the difference between a poor golf swing and a good golf swing is practice. Practice, lessons, learning. The difference between a good singer and a bad and a bad singer is practice. But we don't take that same kind of purposefulness to our marriages in areas, this applies to communication, which we're talking about now. It applies to couples who have poor intimacy. Well, practice, talking through that, learning, studying one another. It's what happens when you take two people and you jam them into one flesh. It gets crowded and couples can trip on one another, step on one another's toes. It's so necessary to learn one another. That's so helpful. And you hinted at earlier that you first started to see some of these causes from day one of your marriage. Can you tell that story for us? Yeah, sure. Sure. It's actually the introduction of the book. Uh, I won't tell you quite as long of a version. I'm laughing about it now, but there was nothing funny about it. We went on our honeymoon. We ended up going to Disney World, which I do recommend for a honeymoon, but that may be a different podcast. We had a great time. But, uh, Day one, day two, day three, things didn't seem to be quite right. Most of what I learned about that, I'm, of course, learned in hindsight, okay? So I'm speaking now with the benefit of history. We had a pattern of sinfulness in our relationship during our engagement, and the Lord convicted us both of that, and it was about three, four months before our wedding, and he really gave us power to overcome that sin, to bring forgiveness to one another. And so we felt like, great, all set. We walked into the wedding, and suddenly being married didn't actually fix the problem. And side note, it never fixes the problem. You always carry your problems into your marriage. But again, we can come back to that later. Let me finish the story. So it was actually on the Thursday. We got there on a Sunday. It was the Thursday of our honeymoon, ironically Thanksgiving of 1995. And we had a blow-up, just a major argument. Uh, it's the biggest argument we've ever had, and we're, we're 25 years this November. And so uh, to date, it's still the biggest argument we've ever had. It went on for about an hour or so. And I'll tell you, in that conversation, my words were not designed to give grace. My words were not designed to build up. It was designed to tear her down, to prove her wrong. She was doing the same thing to me. When we got back to our, our lives continued after the honeymoon, Less and less arguing, but more and more distance and coldness. There was some real offense and isolation that happened there. And I'll tell you this, we were about nine months in, and we learned this again in retrospect. We had each begun to pray that the Lord would either take us, take me, or take her. It became so isolated and cold and hard, very steely relationship. We'd go days without speaking. And there was no real accountability. I mean, I was, I was still leading worship in my church as a 20-something during this time. She was participating in Bible studies and doing great. It's just in this area, it was just so broken. And at the end of a marriage counseling session, this is 15 months in now, the counselor had given some just terrible, terrible advice. It was focused on fixing her, but even I knew it was wrong. And we left there and I said, I'm done paying for this. I'm just done you can win. I'll concede on every point we've been arguing about. And that was not the repentance the Lord was looking for, but it was the crack in my heart and soul the Lord used to pour grace upon grace upon grace into our marriage, 
And we had attended two marriage conferences. Neither of them fixed the problem because we used what we learned as weapons against one another. But in that moment, James, when the Lord brought conviction, he brought in all of the stuff he had taught us through those marriage conferences. And then the Lord brought this conviction, this weeping, this brokenness. And as we sought to build together, that's when we started to share what the last 15 months had been like, ways we had been praying, thoughts that had crossed our mind. And we vowed that we would just never allow communication to fall apart like that again. That's where the tools came from. And that the, uh, over the course of years, I'd still say six kids later, we've got two in the military. We have one with special needs. We still have to be just as purposeful with communication as we were in those first days of rebuilding. Because seasons change and life changes and we've got to stay connected as a couple. What's so helpful about your story is not only does it make you relatable, <laughs> but also I think people tend to see communication as almost like a secular tool to work on a car, just like a wrench. But what your story points out is that it starts with repentance before the Lord and forgiveness. It, it just brings God back to the center of your marriage. You know, that's a good observation. We serve a communicating God. And it's one of those communicable attributes that the Lord gives us. We have the actual power given by the Holy Spirit to speak life into people, to, to just utter sounds out of our mouth and have it build up another person's soul. This is some of that power that God allows us to share as creatures being made in his image. So far from a secular tool, God in his grace allows a fallen world to continue to use the tool that he himself has knit into how he's created us. Join us next time as we continue our conversation on marriage communication with Pastor Rob Flood. In the meantime, visit ministrynetwork.com forward slash degree to learn about the new online offerings available at Westminster Theological Seminary.